coming to you from ringside. We're here with our grand champion, Baloney Hard Times. You know him, you love him. The king of the ring, the master of Sunday night. Tell us, champion, what do you think about this upcoming match? Some harsh words from your opponent here. Well, first off, Harry, it's not Baloney, it's Bologna. But that's all right. That's all right, champ. I know you're a great guy. I know you mean well. And listen, I know you had your experience with Maldino. I know you've seen him in the back. I know you know he's a rude dude. But that's not me. So from now on, just get it right. But all these fans, they know Bologna. And they know that I am the best there is at shilling. I can shill a ketchup popsicle to an old lady in white gloves. I'll tell you that right now. And this coming Sunday, I'm gonna meet Weeaboo in the middle of the squared circle, and it's gonna be the one, the two, and the three, and the fried me sandwich, because there's nothing like Bologna on a Sunday night. Well, there you have it, folks. Straight from the mouth of the champion himself. Be sure to tune in to the Suckin' Slam on Sunday evening. Back to the analyst desk. Take it away. the first chapter of the wrestling shill, Scott. Hot Shots Part 2. Hot Shots Part 2. That's exactly right. And we are definitely going to be covering some Hot Shots tonight, my oh. dude. Oh. I'm oh. telling you that right now. Oh, don't tease me. I won't last. I won't make it through the episode. Welcome back to another episode of King of the Shill, where we are continuing our trip down wrestling lane so that I can finally get Scott to regularly ask, when is the next AEW pay-per-view? I want to come watch it. Is that the goal of the arc? I, I would say uh, uh, if I wanted to get specific with it, probably. Okay. That's, that's, that's how I watch wrestling now. I watch AEW pretty much exclusively. So All right. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty achievable goal, too. I don't think you're really... Stretching the imagination there, but we'll see. Uh, hey. Let's we'll see if you can get me there. Well, uh, so in part one of this chapter, which we are covering uh, something that I like to call the moment, um, we covered the outsider's angle and the creation of the NWO. Yeah. And we well, I wanted to really highlight um, a, a case where. 
uh, storyline can build to a moment um, through many weeks of planting seeds and towing the line until we get to a point where there is a payoff and some kind of conclusion. And this one specifically was about when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left the WWF to go to WCW and the outsiders were formed with finally at Bash at the Beach 1996, Hulk Hogan revealing himself as the third man TM and the NWO was formed. So I think you liked that one, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I, I really did like it. Um, that is the era, I'll call it, or like the major event right before I started watching wrestling when I was younger. So it was also interesting to finally see like I never really looked up the lore or anything like NWO were the bad guys when I was a young lad. So it was interesting to see where it came from. It was a well-told story. I got into it. I liked the the match that we watched too. Sting, yeah. uh, Sting Luger and um, uh, the, the Nacho Man. Yeah. The way that Scott um, Hall said those names was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's actually he he took those names from um uh like a skit that the WWF did when the initial wave of talent left for WCW. They were memeing them. Billionaire Ted was the name that was given to the Ted Turner caricature in these like vignettes that WWF would film in air. And they were always like with scheme Gene Okerlund and the oh. huckster and nacho man instead of the macho man right so that there are many metal layers to that storyline that just go very deep when you start pulling the thread it it takes a while to come fully unraveled <laughs> yeah it was cool so, i enjoyed it yeah it was uh it's one of my favorite moments in in the history of the sport but hey if this is your first time joining us you're coming in at the steve austin episode we're going to look at what the other side of the aisle was doing during uh, the about the same time as this was going on in WCW, right? This was the Monday Night Wars that was happening, right? And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to assume that you know a good bit about Steve Austin. Uh, would, I, would I be correct? Yeah, I'm like channeling his hairstyle and fashion sense right now. <laughs> I should have got a Budweiser before this started. But yeah, I believe I, you mean a Steve Weiser, a my Steve dude. Weiser, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I, in as much as I know anything about any wrestler, I know about Steve Austin. Uh, again, legendary talent, one of the biggest wrestlers ever, anti hero. Um, his main shtick was sticking it to the man, which is about as laudable a shtick as you can have. There's a reason mm -hmm. why he's insanely popular. Um, he was in a bunch of really terrible action movies, including one I keep wanting to call The Departed, but I think it's called The Island because I know The Departed is a Martin Scorsese movie. But in that, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is in a survival game and he's like in two entire feet taller than everyone else in the cast. <laughs> End summary. <laughs> I didn't I did not. I, I I have never fucked with a Steve Austin movie ever in my life. No offense, Steve. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up while you while you uh, while you give me the deets on Yon Yon Steven. Well, so um, this this is a this is gonna be pretty. I don't want to say predictable, but this is this is one of the more 
like similar to the NWO stuff, right? This is going to be one of the more obvious on the nose wrestling storylines, right? But continuing with the theme of, I really want to sort of take you down the exact lane that I went down whenever I fell in love with the art form. Um, after I discovered WCW as, as a kid, um, it didn't take me long to notice WWF and it specifically didn't take me long to notice WWF in this current era with the freshly, the freshly minted Degeneration X at the time comprised of uh, one Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, alongside China. Um, rest in peace. Um, sh- uh, they were, you know, they were like big heels at the time. And, and what's interesting about what you said, right, mm-hmm. was they were also anti-establishment. So this is this is like, it's not... You are correct in that Steve Austin got mega popular because that is the crux of his character. But this is a very common character attribute throughout this period of WWF. And so what I really want to touch on here is more of Steve Austin's individual moment and his rise to becoming the WWF champion for the first time. Because in it, it includes a very interesting case of... Uh, a performer who is the out and out heel, right? The bad guy in the match ending up sort of, and they, they use the, the, the term for this. I'll just use the term for it. They end up turning sort of not on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Steve Austin didn't turn baby or at least anti-hero sort of in the middle tweener because it was the grand plan the whole time. Steve Austin turned that way because the people would not deny him. And we are going to see uh, a sort of a, a, a truncated arc of that and how that happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts so far? Have you ever watched a Steve Austin match before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, th- now we're living in the time frame where I watched wrestling. So I can't remember if I said it on the show, but I definitely said to you that I owned like a Sting action figure. And I remember mm. that very vividly. I yeah. had a Steve Austin figure too. Uh, All right. I, I went to school in the Cornstalk ghetto. I'm talking the whitest of the white trash and wrestling was the next highest thing on people's list after church. So I was <laughs> intimately familiar with Steve Austin uh, all of the mega stars, even if I wasn't necessarily watching at that time, because that's everybody on the school bus or at school. That's all they would talk about. So, yeah, I have seen a Steve Austin match. I am also a fan of the way that Steve Austin wrestles, at least in the way that I remember it, where he there's more of a brutality to the way that he wrestles. You know what I mean? Which is not even something you would typically think of a baby face. Not that he is mm-hmm. or isn't right. But yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about what you said there is that I think a lot of people would not list Stone Cold on their list of greatest like wrestlers. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like at the time, there were many different styles. I mean, there are many different styles, but I mean, in terms of what was televised on each major program, there were a lot more styles that were given airtime on WCW and Turner networks than there were on WWF. Yeah. And we're actually going to get into some of that. in some of the later chapters of this wrestling arc is when we, when we start walking down the road of discovering the art form, 
Um, a lot of those cruiserweight matches, those Lucha Libre style matches from WCW, we're going to watch a couple of those. So you'll, you'll get to see exactly what I mean in that example. But Stone Cold absolutely has a quintessential brutality to his, his moveset. But one thing that I think that he is above everything else is he is an incredible match caller. So he will say he has said in in many different interviews and in many different times on his podcast that his hearing is so shot that he really can't ever call the match. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that means? Is that the like the match is over ring the bell type thing? No, calling the match means you're the person that's like orchestrating it. In the ring, you're telling the other guy oh, what to do. We're going to do each other this. Cues. We're going to yeah. do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that is something that historically in wrestling is typically reserved for the heel, right? Mm-hmm. Because the heel, the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of the heel is to get heat, to be the bad guy. Yeah. Right. It's much easier because that's, it's such a more visceral reaction. It doesn't take much to get people to cheer. It takes a lot more effort to get people to boo. It's and, and and that's not saying that working baby is easy. I think a lot of people who have given interviews that I've heard and a lot of things that you can go look up yourself will tell you that working baby is almost harder than working heel because people are more ready to boo than they are to cheer. But it is easy to get people to cheer if you have a cool move. Uh, you're are if you're already over with the fans right all you need to do is hit that cool move but for the heel they have to think of ways and unique ways to get the crowd ready to see you succeed right yeah and so typically the heel will call the match so stone cold steve austin um his here he says his hearing has always been shot he's he's not he's always told people like listen like it's it's nothing against you. I just won't be able to hear you out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's been to his detriment several times, he would tell you. But um, the point that I'm trying to make is that he understands better than anybody else, in my opinion, how to work the crowd, how to make the match structurally sound enough to bring the crowd to a boiling point and set them off. He has excellent pacing. He's got um, a very, uh, I don't want to say easy, but it's like, um, it's small. He's got a small move set, but mm-hmm. he uses it to an extreme effectiveness. And he just really understands how to put on a match. And that's something that we are going to look at very heavily during the matches that we watch here tonight. Okay. So we are going to start with, I'm just going to give a brief overview of what we're going to be looking at here. Um, So Stone Cold Steve Austin was coming into the WWF at a time where he had like a chip on his shoulder, big chip on his shoulder, right? So his first big break really came with WCW back even before the NWO stuff when he was in there as stunning Steve Austin, right? So he worked in Texas in early in his career, which is where he was, where he was from in the sportatorium in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. A legendary venue. And so when he moved on to Atlanta and then the South and started working at WCW, he was in a a tag team with Brian, a wrestler named Brian Pillman, RIP, um, incredible wrestler. They were called the Hollywood blondes. And he had this unbelievable blonde comb over 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'll show you a picture of him. Uh, but uh, unbelievable blonde co- comb over. Pillman had this incredible, these like incredible flowing blonde yep. locks, and they were a heel working tag team. They were like pretty boys from Hollywood, the Hollywood yeah. blondes. And it's so great to watch it because like the thing that they used to do to each other is they'd be walking to the ring and they'd be going like like oh. rolling a camera at each yeah. other as as though they were like, you know, googling yeah. each other, right? And so they were just like this really great, fun heel tag team, and they experienced some moderate success while they were in WCW. And um, then he got fired. Yep. And I and uh, at the time he was kind of just sitting at home and was all pissed off, right, from getting fired as as you would be. Um, and so Paul Heyman contacted him and was like, "Do you want to come to ECW?" And at the time he couldn't wrestle. And he's like, you know, I, I, I can't wrestle right now. And Paul Heyman's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. He's like, you got a chip on your shoulder, come to ECW and just cut promos. So for a very long time, he went to ECW and just cut promos basically on Eric Bischoff and the rest of WCW mm-hmm. because extreme championship wrestling at the time didn't give a fuck. <laughs> right. Okay. And they would, they were airing anything. Yeah. Right. So anything so for views. Exactly. Right. They were they were definitely the too hot for TV wrestling federation. Right. So all this to say. The Stone Cold Steve Austin character. Formed right there. Okay. So this chip on your shoulder. Fuck the man. He never did anything for me. Working man. Swig a beer for the working man. That's where that character came to life. But it wouldn't be until he got to WWF where he would fully realize that vision. And when he came to WWF, he began working with Ted DiBiase as the ringmaster. And he was like, he was called the ringmaster because like, again, Stone Cold, excellent wrestler. He's an excellent, excellent psychologist in the ring. And so he puts on very sound, good, solid foundational matches. So the ringmaster is actually a pretty cool gimmick for him. If you think about it, he was silent. Mm-hmm. He had a valet in Ted DiBiase. He was the million dollar champion for a while. If you remember those gimmicks. And so he would just go in and wrestle and like put on these clinics, right? As the ringmaster. But he wasn't talking. He wasn't cutting promos, right? He wasn't flexing what he had been honing for the past however long in ECW. Yeah. Because he didn't really wrestle much in ECW. He was only a couple matches. So naturally, that gimmick ended up fizzling out at some point. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin started to emerge. And in his first breakout moment, which is where we're going to pick up our arc at, we're going to see... King of the Ring 1996. So remember, when we saw the Outsiders in the NWO, that was Bash at the Beach 1996 where that culminated. Mm -hmm. This is King of the Ring 1996. Same year, right? So again, parallel timelines here. We're looking across the street at what the other side of the aisle is doing. He beats Jake the Snake Roberts in a very convincing fashion. Yep. And the finals of King of the Ring. And he cuts the legendary Austin 316 promo. 
And that's really where his trajectory starts, right? Because mm-hmm. the Austin 316 catchphrase becomes, or the moniker rather, becomes incredibly popular. He fashions himself some very, very awesome and really great catchy catchphrases. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Oh, hell yeah, which would eventually take another shape into give me a hell yeah, right? Yep. So he's really emerging at this point into this character. And we're going to fast forward into WrestleMania 13, where we're going to see a match against Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. And what I was saying to you about this being an interesting moment where Stone Cold Steve Austin working as the heel right. ends up walking out of the match as the baby face in a way. So at this point in time, he had won the King of the Ring. He was talking mad shit. I'm the best. I'm the King of the Ring. And he just starts calling out Bret Hart. Bret Hart, who wasn't even around at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stone Cold Steve Austin would give interviews outside of wrestling TV. And he would just start shit talking Bret Hart. And he would just call out Bret Hart. He would yeah. just say, he says he's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I doubt that. Right? Mm-hmm. Bret Hart answers the call. And we're going to watch that match. And Steve Austin puts in such an unbelievably compelling fight up against Bret Hart that the crowd refuses to deny him. Okay. And this is where the Stone Cold Steve Austin that you know is truly born. Because after that, we get into the good shit where he's feuding with DX and he fights Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14 with Mike Tyson as the enforcer. Yep. I saw that. And that's where we're going to conclude our arc with Steve Austin. So we're going to pay specific attention to um, really just how Steve Austin's career is just built out of these very important moments for him where he cuts the Austin 316 promo, where he puts in the most valiant of efforts against the best ever Bret Hart. And then he unseats the golden boy, Shawn Michaels. Mm hmm. So we're going to go through and watch all that. We're going to watch uh, some promos just like we did last time. Some clips from raw, some buildings, right? Yeah. And then we're just going to watch the matches and enjoy them because in my opinion, this is a major upgrade in the quality of wrestling <laughs> from the last time. Okay. I'm excited. I, I, I think that this is more, not that my the previous thing was uh, not my speed, but this is probably more my speed because what really pumps me about wrestling, we talked about this last time, is all the things surrounding the matches paying off in the match, right? Like, I, I'm going to be the type of guy that's like, the pro, the, if the promo informed the match, I'm going to pop. So I'm really interested to see where... Austin came from right like I said up from the time where I was watching it he was at least what I remember he was already kind of established and knowing yeah. his history I think is gonna make watching the fights more interesting as well and be good oh sorry finish finish your thought I was just gonna say when a man loses his job and his hair what's left <laughs> for him to do you know what I mean right 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think I think what's really interesting about this stuff is that, you know, I when I was watching this as a kid, watching it happen live, I wasn't sitting here internalizing shit like, wow, listen to the crowd. He's working heel and they're just yeah, they're they're loving him. Right. I was just in it. Right. I was in the moment, but it wasn't until I was an adult and started understanding a lot of the more nuance that there is to, to pro wrestling and really some of the more intricate details about it that I really started to understand. Like, you know, one of the coolest things about this art form is that you are out of control as much as you are in control. And there are only so many things that you can do as a performer, as a booker, as somebody involved in the show to set things up the way that you think they should be. But when somebody is over, when your audience decides this is our guy, you have to listen. Yeah. Well, that's what I was telling you, kind of the reverse, like that moment that stuck with me a couple years ago when I tried to get back in of, Roman Reigns standing triumphant and the arena just showering him with booze. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yep. It's a it's a very obvious blunder when it happens. And Stone Cold Steve Austin stands chiefly among the performers that this applies to because he really, really took that. Ball, grab that brass ring we'll say right as we'll yeah. we'll, we'll use in in a quote-unquote industry term is that's a like a sort of something that vince always used to say allegedly backstage that's now kind of become common common wrestling meme knowledge he grabbed that brass ring and he he held it all to himself that's for sure and this is in an era with let's not forget right the undertaker mm-hmm. the rock Shawn Michaels, mm-hmm. right? This is this yeah, is quite an insane era. There's stacked talent and he stuck around through eras of even like so uh Triple H getting his stable the, uh, I mean Ric Flair was always around but like the the next Evolution. the next yeah the next era is that what they were called with Batista and uh yeah. Jericho. Yeah. Like the the names that would uh carry wrestling on their back for the next couple years to come. Right. Mm -hmm. And stone cold still held it all through all that time too. So he actually was not around during evolution. Evolution was, he was, he was mainly a, like just sort of like celebrity legend appearance. His last WrestleMania was WrestleMania 19. That was his uh, retirement match against the rock where he put the rock over. Um, But Something that you said that I want to highlight here. Um, he stuck around much to his detriment. He is a man that is unfortunately much too short in career due to injuries and okay. due to working through those injuries and not taking proper care of himself when he should have. And, you know, it's a time medicine was only what it was then, right? We didn't have the types of spinal fusion neck surgeries that we have today where guys are able to have it done and continue wrestling. Stone Cold Steve Austin had his neck broken by Owen Hart pretty early into his Ugh. career. In fact, it was before, well, not early into his career, but early into the Stone Cold run. It was before he had this run of, 
um, you know, up to the championship against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. This was when he was like intercontinental champion and they were like building him to be the guy that was going to be it. Right. Mm -hmm. And he took a really nasty pile driver from Owen Hart. And it was unfortunately, I mean, it was like top of his head accordion down into the, into the mat. Um, It was a legit pile driver. Mm -hmm. Um, And he worked through that for a long time. Until he got it fixed. And when he got it fixed, he was out for a long time. But rest assured, the biggest detriment and the thing that one of the things that shortened a lot of guys careers in this industry is their their undying willingness to work through pain. And that's something that is unfortunately just part of part of a lot of this history, man. Yeah. Passion, passion carrying through even when maybe it shouldn't. Passion is the right word for it. And there's none more passionate than Stone Cold Steve Austin. And we are gonna fucking see it. So let's do it, dude. Let's do it. Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah, dog. Hey, don't forget, you can watch along with us. We have all of the episodes and the timestamps at the many folds on Instagram, as well as in the show notes. So watch along with us and be part of the discussion coming up. Or don't. That's cool, too. Right now, you got your little beady eyes locked on the eyes of the world's toughest son of a bitch. I could beat you any day of the week, twice on Sunday. Do I think, I, do I think you could beat my ass? Hell no. Do I think I could beat your ass? Why, hell yeah. I don't know how good your hearing is, but if you don't understand what I'm saying, I always got a little bit of sign language. So here's to you. We have seen the birth and the culmination of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and we ended it with the coronation of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm just going to ask for your thoughts straight out of the gate. In terms of what I really wanted to show here with... His moment at WrestleMania 13, the double turn with Bret Hart and Stone Cold, and then the execution of his rise to becoming champion. What did you think? It was cool. This was a completely different experience than the last one. Like the last one, I think I said it in the first part of the episode, right? Like I'm the type of guy that's like all about the promo. So I thought it was going to be interesting to be able to see like the, the other part, right? Like yeah. it's, it's easy to sell me on the promo stuff. And yeah. uh, we watched him uh, brutalize Jake, the snake a little bit too, <laughs> yes. which was kind of a, it was, a, it was an intro. I think that was worth seeing because we, we talked about, the, about this a lot as we were watching, but, Stone Cold didn't start off as 
the cool anti-hero. He was kind of just an asshole. I mean, he still the difference is Stone Cold didn't change. People just liked him. Yes. Right. So right. Uh, we watched him kind of just brutalize an old man. And then <laughs> <laughs> he go, we go to this fight with uh, Brett, the Hitman Hart. And honestly, for me, that was the highlight of the viewing party. Uh, you said to me that that was going to be storytelling through the wrestling. And my God, it was those guys. <laughs> hats off to him. That was a hard day's work. Well, so so let's talk about that real quick, because I think that a lot of people, if you're not a wrestling fan, when you hear that, like, listen, even sort of without a whole lot of context, you can really get the story through the wrestling, through the performance. What 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 was that like to sort of experience that? Can you like contextualize it yeah well going into i can contextualize it and i can give kind of a similar example right like so going into it i know a little bit about brett the hitman heart i know a little bit about steve Austin, but i don't know a lot about their particular dynamic to that point you told me that steve austin kind of had brett hart's name in his mouth and he was kind of asking for it but other than that i didn't really know what was going into it so they start to wrestle and I knew that it was like a submission match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Cause I know again, a l- the little bit I know about Bret Hart is his signature moves, a submission hold. He's a submission yes. guy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The match starts and immediately it's just a bar fight. They're literally <laughs> in the audience, just slugging yes. at each other. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a fight between two people that, kayfabe or no probably a little of both hate each other's guts Mm -hmm. right this is yeah i cannot wait to hurt you physically right so yep they're out in the crowd they're wailing on each other the crowd's eating it up obviously right yeah of course and they make their way back to the ring they're it's a slobber knocker in the ring they're throwing each other in and out they're hitting poles at one point uh I, I get they uh there was a small I think the phrase is a botch. There's a small botch because uh Stone Cold was trying to drop Brett nuts first onto a railing and Brett yeah. actually hit an audience member, which screwed up the stun yeah. a little bit. And I remember <laughs> yeah. thinking, oh god, like you better hopefully you land safely, right? Because that could have been yeah. bad. But um there uh I mean props, it's, it's it was damn near a table letters and chairs, except it was a table, wires and bells match yeah. <laughs> right it's it's yeah. it's it's everything you want to see in a really physical wrestling match but more importantly it's showing you their character like you know at least in the way that i watched it you know a little bit about stone cold in that he he wants respect more than anything but he has no respect for his opponents He's not trying to create an elegant dance that makes both people look good. He wants to beat you into the dirt and stand on top of you. Right. Yes. And that, yep. that's the way he wrestles. He, he just, he just throws himself a hundred percent into everything. And yeah. similarly, his ego is so big that he can't handle even, um, uh, even the most minute loss, right? It's, he can't, he can't even handle, losing an engagement let alone a match 
right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have this, I don't know if you want, it's not an immovable object or whatever, but you have this like just pure animalistic rage guy and you have Bret Hart uh, uh, alongside him who's, I mean, he's not necessarily a, I mean, he is a baby face, but he's not like a paragon of truth and justice, but this is like, this is the guy on the Pepsi can, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, the guy on the ice cream bar. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the again, I I'm, I lack the proper terms, the down home American hero. He's the household name, right? Well, yeah, he's like that's, you know, sort of we touched on in, ep- in the sort of episode zero for this. But like, that's why the Montreal Screwjob was like such a huge deal for him, because he's Canadian and he's like, I will drop the belt but not in Canada where Mm -hmm. I am huge, where that's my hometown country. Right. Yeah. So like to your point, right. He is, he is a baby face, but at this time that Stone Cold and Brett are intersecting, he's kind of coming back to a WWF that he didn't leave. Yeah. You know, a very different WWF where Stone Cold and Stone Cold's attitude are starting to really take hold. So, yeah, it's because I mean, he wrestled in a time before this kind of counterculture movement. And here he is. It's it's poetic in a way because the hero has been tainted by the villain he's fighting. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have this squeaky Again, I don't want to call him squeaky clean, but you have this, relatively speaking, squeaky clean guy across from Stone Cold. But then he's he's pulling out the dirty tricks, too. Right. And you're like, it it, it would be the equivalent of uh, Superman showing up to a fight versus. Let's just say let's just even say Lex Luthor. Right. Yeah. Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. And he just shoots Lex Luthor in the leg. It's like, what the what the fuck, <laughs> Superman? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, right. is it kind of warranted? Sure. But come on, dude. You know, what I mean? it's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's this idea that like the hero is kind of being tainted by his nemesis. He's not he's not the same anymore. He can't be the same because when he comes out and he like in again, kayfabe or no, he's complaining like. Hey, like they keep calling him Brett the whiner during the match. Hey, I'm being mistreated and screwed over all the time. Everybody tells him to shut up and to yep. stop being a bitch. He's like, well, <laughs> he's like, fine. If if, if this that's the way it's going to be, I'll be dirty, too. But you get this magical moment at the end of that fight where um, this is this is the way you want. Like if you're trying to preserve the credibility of two wrestlers. I mean, one's got a whim. You have an ending like this where he puts him in the sharpshooter. Um, Stone Cold is bleeding profusely from the face. It's all over the ring, but he won't tap out. He refuses to give up. He passes out. Right. And then the match is called. Yeah. And the people love him for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, they're one of my favorite things about that match is that there's this moment where, like you said, at the beginning, Austin goes right after him and he's just like a pit bull. Right. Yeah. And they spill out into the audience. But but when they make it back to the ring. They kind of do start to wrestle, right? Like Bret Mm -hmm. Hart is like, okay, we're back in the ring. It's time to wrestle. I I can beat this guy at wrestling, 
I don't have to, I don't have to, I can win. I withstood the storm and I can beat this guy at wrestling. This is his mission match. I'm going to start working him down. I'm going to start wearing him down. And this is one of the things that I was mentioning about, you know, ring psychology, as they call it, is, you know, it's setting up what's coming without cluing the audience in so much, right? It's working his knee so that when he applies the sharpshooter, there's that extra pain, right? Yeah. It's, it's planting that seed. And so Brett eventually hits a point where he's just like, I am going to have to kill this motherfucker. Yeah. I cannot beat him at a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of when everything starts to tilt. When Austin starts to become the sympathetic character, because Bret Hart is just laying into him. He is hitting him with bells, right? He's, he's busted Austin open, like you said, and Austin's giving it right back to him and like grabbing Mike wires and choking him out with choking Bret Hart out with him on the ring apron and everything. I mean, it is called a submission match, but it really should have been called an I quit match. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And to your point, and like you said, Austin refuses to quit. And there is this moment where there is a double turn, right? Mm-hmm. Because after the match, af- even after Bret Hart's hand is raised, Austin's on the ground. He's passed out. Bret Hart's fucking pissed he didn't give up. He did not make him tap. And now he's going to make him pay for it. So you have Bret Hart going after Austin at the end of the match when he's just on his back. And as Bret Hart's leaving and everyone's booing him, they have an official come out and the official tries to help Austin up to help him to the back. And everyone's chanting, Austin, Austin, Austin. And Stone Cold stuns the ref. Yeah. And he says, fuck you. I don't need your help. I'm going to walk out on my own. And the crowd just melts, dude. They just come unglued. It's it's such an amazing example of the moment. Yeah. Like I was like I was telling you, you know? Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard not to see why people would love something like that, right? They yeah. they see themselves in Stone Cold to an extent, right? It's have you ever wanted something so bad that you would do anything to get it, that you would never get up, get give up? And not get it anyway and have the man win, wouldn't you be fucking pissed? Wouldn't Defiant. You, yeah. Wouldn't you wanna fuck shit up? <laughs> it's like it's it's literally the meme of aren't you tired of being nice? Don't you yeah. wanna go ape shit? You know what I mean? They see themselves in Stone Cold in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's you know, it's been said it's been said a hundred times, and you said and you even said it to me while we were watching it, you know, it's Stone one of Stone Cold's main draws is that, you know, he he is what everybody wants to do to their boss, right? Mm-hmm. But underneath all of that is exactly what you said. It doesn't have to necessarily be the boss thing. You can look at the aspect of not giving up, right? Being defiant in the face of this stre- mainstream of society, their expectations for you, that you should show up to work and you should be happy to be there and you should be respectful to everybody and nice to every and nice to everyone. And, you know, and it's just like, there was no other way for Stone Cold 
to yeah like exist without the the middle finger yeah the fact that that is his thing he is one giant walking middle finger and that is what everybody sees in stone cold when they look inside and they see themselves in it as you said i think it's just this really human character well it shows in his wrestling too like we were talking about his wrestling style and we were talking about like calling it like savage and stuff but it's it i think you hit the nail on the head there like this idea when you go to work you have to behave a certain way and dress a certain way and act a certain way and you have to be nice to people people are looking at stone cold like bret hart the bret hart generation is by existing they're passively telling stone cold wrestling is done a certain way you have to you have to wrestle a certain way you have to look a certain way you have to go over a certain way and stone cold is like fuck you i want it anyway i'm gonna do it my way i'm gonna punch you into the fucking crowd who (laughs) who are you to say that i can't do it you know what i mean so that's like it doesn't matter that bret hart was the superhero now he represents the enemy it doesn't matter how hard he had to work. Now he's standing in the way of the newcomer. He is the yeah. establishment. So, yeah, it was great. I like that match a lot. It was yeah, hard to watch. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites. And and it's it's, you know, what anytime you watch like a Stone Cold documentary or like a best of or any kind of list like that, that's one of the first things that they go to with his career is WrestleMania 13, because it made Austin. That was the moment that stone cold was truly born and off to the races he would go. I mean, there's a, there's a term in the culture when they, when like a company will say WWE for this example, like Roman reigns, for example, whenever they were trying to really get him over and having him just run through everything and everyone, what you would say is they were strapping a rocket to him, right? Mm -hmm. Because they wanted to just push him straight to the top. Right. Stone Cold, like, obviously, wrestling in this product is a group effort. And obviously, it's long been known that Vince McMahon is at the start and the end of everything WWF, WWE related. So a lot of credit goes to Vince for this. But again, WrestleMania 13 is that moment where the crowd just said, this is our guy. Mm -hmm. This is who we want. And they were definitely pushing it towards that way. but you're never guaranteed anything until the moment happens. So the second that they decided stone cold is ours, they didn't need to strap a rocket to him. He already had one. Right. And so we go from this era of transitioning into stone cold, the people, not to use the rocks terminology, but truly at this time, he is like the people's champion in a lot of ways. Um, in the non tongue in cheek way, the non Rocky yeah. Maya via way. Um, and so we kind of scooted forward a little bit, you know, past a lot of stuff um, leading up to the build up to WrestleMania 14, where Stone Cold had won the 1998 Royal Rumble and earned a title shot. And we started it off with uh, the very famous clip of Vince McMahon welcoming Iron Mike Tyson to yeah. the ring. And um, kind of uh, uh, nominating him and announcing that he was going to be the special ring enforcer for um, the or at least some kind of special guest for WrestleMania 14. And Austin comes out and basically says, look, I know that you're in the big in the boxing world and you're the baddest man on the planet and whatever, but this ain't boxing. 
when you step into this ring, you're messing with Stone Cold, and that's just right. something that you don't do. So what did you think about this segment here? It was weird. Uh, it it was a time capsule. We were marveling a lot at a lot of the signs and like what was mm, happening. Yeah. But um, I think in speaking with the rocks, not the rocks, geez, in speaking with Stone Cold's character, I think that it's important to establish that he hasn't changed. Right. Yes. Right. Being the superstar has not cleaned up his image or whatever. Right. He yeah. is not now the squeaky clean baby face. He is not like the modern John Cena or whatever. Right. Instead, I think if anything, it has emboldened him to be even more abrasive and obnoxious. He's yes. staring down one of the most vicious boxers, right? The, Mike Tyson, for anyone who is either too young to remember or who does not un- know anything about boxing, was one of the most famous people in the world at this time. Yeah. He was a absolute living icon of sport. He still is. Yeah. <laughs> go and yeah. go and watch a Mike Tyson boxing match from his peak on YouTube and you'll see what I mean. He was but good. I was just going to say, but this is like at this time, this was Tiger at his prime in yeah. a way. Right. And that you, level of stardom. Exactly. And you have Stone Cold coming up to him and saying, I don't give a shit who you are. This is my ring and I want to beat the shit out of you. And then they actually start. <laughs> A fight, right? It's yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the it's it's one of those things of the absolute audacity of this man, right? To come up to Mike Tyson and challenge him to a fight. Now, granted, yeah. like in terms of pure like physicality, Stone Cold's way bigger than him. They're doing sure, different right. diff- different sports, but yeah. it's just this idea, right? He's he's sticking up a middle finger to other sports, to Vince McMahon as per usual to the crowd for whatever their expectation was. And he just does his thing and leaves. You know what I mean? He's like, forget this. He had a shirt at one point in his career that literally said, arrive, raise hell, leave. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does. And uh, what I, one thing to really call out about this segment is that, you know, this is a, again, a time when WCW is still very hot. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is what, they were doing over at WWF at the time and WrestleMania always historically had celebrity involvement, right? Cindy Lauper, yeah. Liberace, like the list goes on Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, um, you know, so they get Mike Tyson and this is just standard run of the mill shit, right? Like you're sitting there and it's like, Oh, here's Vince. He's bringing Mike Tyson out. He's going to be involved in WrestleMania somehow. And like you're sitting there in that moment in time and you're just thinking to yourself, Austin, please, please, please come out here. Right. And then Uh they waste virtually no time (laughs) and the glass shatters. And it's just this idea of we've got Mike Tyson on our show, who, again, at the time, megastar baddest man on the planet super fucking huge sports star and they were like we're gonna have stone cold take a pop at him yeah just to give you an idea of how big and transcendent in pop culture stone cold was 
they had him take a pop at Mike Tyson. Yeah. And they don't get me wrong. They had they always had people do stuff with celebrities, but we're talking about they had Stone Cold fight Mike Tyson. Yeah. Well, it's also the thing too where I I mean, I I can't remember, but I don't think the crowd was particularly booing Mike Tyson. No. But as soon as Stone Cold shows up and there's a line in the sand, you can be with Stone Cold or with Mike Tyson every single time afterwards. Yep. People <laughs> booed the fuck out of Mike Tyson. Yep. Yep. I mean, it in a lot of ways. So, like, the Undertaker for a long time, like, ran with this gimmick and of like, this is his yard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it literally is personified here with Stone Cold. It it's his yard, yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't want to dwell too much on DX here, but you know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H in China, it, in this storyline are kind of also anti-establishment in a way, and they're still getting a lot of good reactions from the crowd earlier on because people like the funny shit, right? Mm-hmm. They come out and dress goofy. They make, you know, dick jokes. Everybody loves that shit, right? Yeah. But they are in no way, shape, or form as in with the crowd as even Stone Cold at this yeah. point. It's it's always blew my mind that despite how over DX was, for a lot of the same reasons that Stone Cold was over with the crowd. Nobody gives a fuck about DX the second that Stone Cold is in the picture. It is crazy how huge this guy is. Yeah. So, like, what were your thoughts about DX and, like, sort of seeing just the major differences in crowd reaction and reception here for the two of them? It was, I don't know what I expected. I I think it was interesting that, I think it's just because of my knowledge as Triple H, my, my knowledge of Triple H, rather, that, I never expected like this grim stare down that was like taken super seriously. I knew that Shawn Michaels was a big deal. I mean, I mean, I told you several times and Triple H did it to himself, but he looked like such a goober during a lot of the promos <laughs> that he was yeah. he was cutting there. But I think the most striking thing for me was that they portray Austin as this force of nature in a way right mm-hmm. and like you said wrestling is a group effort but you have all these collective egos in the room and you have Shawn michaels triple h the road dog and mr ass all collectively <laughs> holding this man down yes. right <laughs> right they make it a point to show that this dude is literally the fucking Terminator, right? (laughs) If it wasn't for all these people holding Shawn Michael down, like not Steve Austin. No, I I realized that I said something that was overloaded. I mean, like as in, as his crew holding him down, literally holding down Steve Austin, but holding down Shawn Michaels, that he would not stand a fucking chance. You know what I mean? He is an animal. Side and then the side you have uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead but no go for it they're blowing up the spot as per usual for DX you've got Shawn Michaels making a scene saying this is my belt this is my territory 
I want to fight Mike Tyson respectfully. Let me drag I'm, him out here. I'm not stone cold. We don't yeah. do that like this in DX. Yeah. Mike Tyson says, well, you want to go? Let's go. Let's let's throw down right here. Not for nothing right now. You and me. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're tiptoeing around each other and they're doing this like really hammed up kind of back and forth. And Shawn Michaels rips off Mike Tyson's shirt to reveal a D-Generation X shirt. <laughs> and this is I, for me, I what was riling me up more than anything was this idea like it's it was what I would consider a Triple H tactic, right? Because yeah, right. It's it's I am stacking the fucking deck to beat you. This is like I don't. It's it's not a matter of I think I can beat you in pure wrestling. He's he's kind of the antithesis in a way to Stone Cold here, where Stone Cold is just please come over here so I can beat your ass, right? Sean <laughs> yeah. Michaels is like I got China, I got Triple H. <laughs> I got these two dumbasses and I got the special enforcer, Mike Tyson. Welcome to my ring, baby. Come and get me. Yep. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it was it was interesting. I I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but the biggest takeaway for me was that they everybody was collectively really gassing Stone Cold up. It, it, it made him like, I mean, to be clear, Stone Cold Steve Austin is a fucking monolith of a human being he yeah. is he is bigger than Shawn michaels who is already a big human being right yeah but mm-hmm. they they really made this dude seem like he was going to murderize him so and they um they really go a long way to sell this match as just kind of like the um they they sell sean as as, as a very scared champion here yeah mm-hmm. right um to your point and that does not change Mm-mm. um and so here is really an interesting little piece of wrestling history and an intersection of some real life happenings and how they translate to what happens within the scope of the performance right because Shawn Michaels at this point in time is in a bad spot mm-hmm. he is mega injured hurt i mean he's but he had been hurt for a while at this point his back was all sorts of jacked up he was jacked up on a ton of shit just to keep going right back mm-hmm. in the day they used to take what they they called them somas they were like these painkillers these opioid yeah. painkillers um so he was like all fucked up on somas and shit and so this is a really interesting example to me of like, you can really tell how much effort Austin and, and, and Michaels, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him, but Austin specifically, you can really see how oh, much yeah. effort Austin is putting in to making this match workable for him. Yeah. Because and still managing to tell some, some kind of cohesive story with it. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're we're gonna talk about this when we talk about the fight, but my God, Shawn Michaels was putting in some work there. You could tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a good point. I I didn't really think about that because of my inexperience with the format, but in a way, it's not excusing, but it's creating believable context for what's about to happen in the ring, right? Yep. So yeah, we so- move on to the fight, which. If we if we hadn't watched the Bret Hart fight, this would be the highlight. But 
this is a highlight for kind of different reasons. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, we have DX come out to the DX band, um, you know, after Austin or and actually. Yeah. Austin made his entrance first after no. Tyson. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Austin. Uh, uh, they, they, yeah. Michael's got the champion's entrance. Uh, okay. Um, so, you know, they come out and I mean, the bell rings, right? It's your typical yeah. WrestleMania fanfare, right? The bell rings and Austin just just like Bret Hart, right? He's immediately going after Michael. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a bunch of shit that goes on in the beginning where, you know, I, I don't know enough about the, you know, real facts about the goings on in this match and who was calling what and, you know, what was happening. But after a certain point, you can really see Michaels start to. Yeah. Favor himself. Yeah. He's uh he is in noticeable real pain that is preventing him from doing either the things he wants to do or the things he's supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And what I thought was, and what I've always, what I've always thought was really interesting about this match in light of what we just said about it, right? Like Michael's condition and, you know, the effort that they were both going to, to create this match as a workable thing for him. They really, gave him moves that he was with that he was doing to Austin throughout the duration of the match that made sense for him to be doing to Austin. Right. Because it was this thing of like, okay, triple H and China got ejected from the ring. Tyson's on the outside. So I can't, but I can't win outside. I have to win inside the ring. The only way that I'm going to be able to beat Steve Austin is if I, wear him down, put him in sleeper holds, target his knee, right? This yep. whole thing of the only way to get rid of this guy is to hobble him yeah. <laughs> in a way. Right. Which I thought was, is, is like this intersection of something that makes sense for the storytelling aspect, but also something that was very deliberately done to give this to Michaels to be workable. So what were your overall thoughts on how this match played out the ending of it and the ultimate coronation of Austin as the champion? I think the weakest part of the match was Tyson. And I think that they were probably worried to on both fronts to have him like he's not, he's not a trained professional. They didn't want him to, not, I don't want to say screw something up. That's harsh. Yeah. But he's not involved in the choreography. The, right. uh, and they, I think they were also concerned that he might get injured because he has an actual career to get back to. Yeah, right. Other than that, everyone was putting on a fucking show in this fight, and it is really obvious. So Michaels, I don't know what specifically set him off. It could have been slamming off the turnbuckle. It could have been slamming into the gate. It could have been being body slammed onto the mat. One of the 15 times he'd been slammed onto it, but <laughs> yeah. he was in serious pain, and it was obvious. He was, as someone like you and I are older now, We've had yeah. some days of back pain. We're not experiencing <laughs> yeah. half of what he's experiencing. And <laughs> yeah. you can't move the way you want to. Yeah. He, Shawn Michaels is, I mean, I, again, I don't know how much of it is pre-planned. Like you said, a lot of it was a shoot, right? How much of it is pre-planned and how much of it was ad-libbed. But he's got to be wondering in the moment, like, fuck, I can't do whatever right i got to go over and just do the straight jabs again or something yeah. right and yeah. the the prevailing emotion of the fight which it's it's a real life feeling i don't know if you call it kayfabe when you're 
suspending your disbelief as a person. I don't think that's yeah. that's an applicable for the thing. Sure. But I there's the there's the half of me that's like, oh, this is really hard to watch. Like, oh, Sean, oh, like yeah. uh, like him uh, early on in the fight, he gets thrown to the turnbuckle with an Irish whip and he flips himself in midair. That might have even been, I think, around the time of what really fucked up his back. And he slams mm-hmm. his head, his neck, and his back into the turnbuckle, like full on. Yeah, it's, that it's, was that's like a very famous Shawn Michaels thing. And that one is noticeably stiff. Yeah. It was brutal to watch. And you can see all of this throughout the fight. And it, and the human part of you, the part that's like, this is just a bunch of stunt work. It's like, oh, fuck, I hope he's okay. But mm-hmm. then the part of you that's watching wrestling is like every consecutive stunt is Steve earning this victory. Yeah. Right. Despite right. the fact that Shawn Michaels is injured, despite that he's not a match for Steve Austin, he's putting in the effort, right? He puts yeah. him in that figure four leg lock. He slams him into the gate. He hits him with the elbow from the turn, but from the top rope, from the turnbuckle, right? There's, there is a, there is, I guess, is this the terminology? There is a serious work going on or something yeah. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the fight overall was not as visually impressive and emotionally impressive as the Bret Hart fight. But I think it's a testament to the passion in the same way where both of these guys know that the narrative stakes are way higher than the physical stakes can permit. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They're making it work. Yeah. The ending, however, Uh was not something I saw coming. It was a nice (laughs) little touch. So I don't know if Shawn Michaels knew he was going to be taking a leave prior he to did. the fight. He did. He okay. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. But man, what a way to close out the narrative. So we have uh, Mike Tyson in a D-Generation X shirt. Just loving life. He he said in an <laughs> earlier. Suck it. Yeah. He, he said in an earlier promo that he's been a fan of wrestling for a long time. And you can tell he's just, he has this shit eating grin plastered across his face the entire time. Yeah. He's so happy. Right. Mm-hmm. But Mike Tyson wearing a D-Generation X shirt and he's the special enforcer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's right? the special match enforcer. Basically, this is a backup referee. This is the guy that like, if the referee doesn't see something, the, the enforcer is like, hey, stop that. Right. Right. Well, the referee got knocked out earlier in the fight. Shawn Michaels ass. Bumped. Yeah. Shawn <laughs> yeah. Michaels ass pulverized his face. <laughs> so the ref is out. Stone Cold has at this point reversed his way out of a uh, submission hold. And he avoided a sweet chin music. He avoided the Shawn Michaels special move. And he put him in a stone cold stunner. Right. Yep. And he runs over and he pins Shawn Michaels. But hey, Mike Tyson just runs right up. And for a second, you might think, oh, he's going to interfere. He's going to back up his buddy, Shawn Michaels. He does that three count so <laughs> fucking fast. He's, he cannot get it done fast enough. One, two, three. 
and Shawn Michaels is beaten, right? Yep. So he gets up on stage. And again, the announcers in the WWF at this part, at this time, even Nitro, have a bad habit of saying shit before it happens and not just letting it happen organically. One of yeah. the announcers is like, is he working with Stone Cold? So they spoil <laughs> it. But Stone Cold, uh, Mike Tyson lifts up his arm and Stone Cold gives him an Austin 13 shirt. And he's lifting yeah. it up. And he's like, yeah. So was it a double cross? Who knows? John Michaels got his ass kicked and Mike Tyson's laughing about it. And he gets up and he's like, what the hell, bro? You were supposed to be on my team, right? Yeah. And then they finally have the scrap for real. And Mike Tyson decks someone right in the face, the right hook. Yeah. And Shawn Michaels is out like a light. What, I, an, what an end. I want to talk about what it means to pay off a storyline. Yeah within the, the boundaries of wrestling and it's very simplistic, but it's very, very simple, right? If you give me the desire to see Mike Tyson, knock Shawn Michaels, the fuck out, you better give it to me at some point. Yeah. It's that simple. It's that simple. And it, in the, in the, within the match itself, Everything else is just a bonus there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think it's so fitting too, where Mike Tyson and Stone Cold are at odds. Yeah. Right. Mm. Mike Tyson then joins up with kind of the, I don't want to call them cheaters, even though they do cheat, but like, that's not what I mean. Like these dirty players. Chicken right? shits. Chicken shits. Yeah. Clowns. Everyone yeah. other than Shawn Michaels is a clown, so clowns. <laughs> yeah. And they're riding high coming into the fight, right? Shawn Michaels is like, China is holding my belt and polishing it while she's watching the fight. And I got my homie Triple H. It's riding my coattails. And I got Mike Tyson, right? So they're riding yeah. high. And to have that come up and too of like, your chicken shit tactics blew up in your face. Mike Tyson is hanging out with the, the champ now, right? Yep. Yep. The champs are made for each other and then he decks you one. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was, it's like a game recognizes game moment. Kinda, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, um, it's not the best match. And no. Steve Austin, has even said himself, like, I really wish we could have done more with that. But I don't think the work that go that was put into making that match workable for Sean gets talked about enough by him, by anyone else. I think it's just this really great example of what I was talking about before with ring psychology. Things don't always go as plain in the middle of a wrestling match. The best performers, the best wrestlers, the people that know the art form the most will be able to create a compelling situation and still tell a cohesive story regardless of what happens there is something so lost about that concept in modern wwe and i don't mean to you know take a shit on it because their product is still good for what it is but this is the kind of storytelling and the kind of psychology that can go into building a, a wrestling match and actually paying off the story that surrounds it because the difference between 
combat sports and professional wrestling isn't just it's obvious on the nose qualities. It's the fact that you can have this giant storyline like Connor and Dustin round three. And then in the first round, Connor steps on his ankle and breaks it and then it's over and then no payoff. So that's the thing that I like the most about this. That's the thing that speaks the loudest to me about this, even in the face of not really having the best circumstances for a match. Austin and Michael still managed to tell a really compelling capstone to the coronation of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was handed to him. It felt like it was an earned victory. It was not the match of the century, but it accomplished what it needed to get done. Exactly. So with all that said, without further ado, I know that you are already a fan of Austin. So I know I didn't need to show you on Austin, but have I showed you on the concept of the moment, the payoff, the build, everything surrounding it? Do you understand it more? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I mean, it, the moment as a concept is not even something that was alien to me, but I definitely didn't really understand the wrestling tempo, the wrestling cadence, right? Mm. I know the moment from anime, from movies, from TV, from whatever, right? There's always the moment that hooks you in. Yeah. But seeing week after week of Scott Hall talking that good shit (laughs) only for it to end with Hulk Hogan dropping his leg on top of the nacho man, right? That slow burn of weeks watching stone cold, the rabid dog talk that good shit and work up the hero, Bret Hart into this kind of toxic frenzy, right? Yes. I, I, I understand the wrestling moment now, I think. Yeah, it's and it's only really going to build on it from here, right? Because even though we're going to be taking a look back into the past, even before this era, before we move on to the more recent and the current, you know, that this is only just going to become more and more apparent to you as you see it, right? Like this is wrestling is a tapestry. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of different things going on. It's got a lot of different working parts to it, but it is all one cohesive concept and it taps into a lot of the same things that combat sports tap into that film taps into that theater taps into and that soap operas tap into in a lot of ways um, that raw human element, the raw human emotion that can get hooked by these very relatable storylines set against these larger than life characters. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to keep going, man. Um, I think you're going to quite enjoy uh, a lot of what's coming up next, but we're going to take a look back into 
um old wrestlemanias man wrestlemania 3 wrestlemania 7 and then some uh some cruiserweight stuff from old school wcws this was when i discovered the art form when i began paying attention to more of the psychological aspects of it and more of the the um meta uh styles mm-hmm. that go into these different uh these different concepts and these different matches that these guys put together because there is obviously the out and out Donnie Brook that we see with the Stone Cold Steve Austins of the era there are the larger than life muscly guys suplexing each other that we see during the NWO storyline and that culminating with Sting Luger and the Nacho Man And a lot of what we're going to be moving into here is going to be some uh, higher concepted performances, some things that are a little bit more flashy that tell uh, a more colorful story, if you will. Okay. I'm down for some high concept stuff. I'm a hipster. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. Well, don't forget, you can check out all previous episodes of King of the Shill, as well as this one at themanyfolds.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon, and Google, wherever you get your podcasts. You can come say hi at Twitter and Facebook at The Many Folds. And uh, yeah, I think that's the last thing. I, we don't have a P.O. box anymore. No, we got, we got sent too many dragon dildos for that. Yeah, too many dragon dildos and not enough drugs. Yes. Until next time, Scott. Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Give me a piece. Peace. <laughs> King of the Shield.